It's, uh, I'm excited tonight that we've got uh, Doc, Doc Chapman's going to be sharing with us, and probably most of you know that Doc grew up here at the church, and uh, he's been, um, I've, I've enjoyed getting to not to know Dot over the years, and he's been uh, just a great asset as a counselor at camp. Um, I don't know, as long as Sarah and I, I think, have been uh, directing the camp, he's been either a camper, or, yeah, camper, or and then maybe a counselor. I can't remember if you were, you, were, you would have been in high school when we started, I think, so. Um, but Dot uh, married to Amy, and uh, they're following the Lord's lead on their lives. They're looking to continue their training with Ethnos 360 starting next, uh, next August. So headed to Missouri to finish that final portion of their training as they're just uh, looking to the Lord to see where he's got them in the future. So uh, Dot, you come on and just share what the Lord's laid on your heart for us this evening. Craig, you can go ahead and put the uh, Galatians 3.1 up there, and I'll start reading it when I read this. <laughs> um, so, I think about... Probably most of atheists and uh, evolutionists in general have a problem with faith, faith itself. And that's a problem for us. They have a problem specifically with us because we are, I mean, faith is kind of central to Christianity. And so I never like, you know, of course it's like, obvious that that's there and you don't really think about that issue but I was I was kind of studying it at one point and the, they they on on more than one occasion they voiced this objection with faith um, and I think it's very interesting for us to think about this and if you've already done it um, I, I, I'll say just in general most Christians probably don't think about this First of all, because it's a bit of a misnomer, but then also because uh, we understand it emotionally rather than understanding it intellectually to begin with. Um, so the question they'll ask is, is, what makes faith so special? Or why is it that the only way I can be saved is to suspend my disbelief or to stop thinking? So in general, they think that in order to believe that God is real or that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you really have to stop thinking about it and just feel it. And I think we've, we've kind of <laughs> put that out there sort of to our detriment. There is a, there is a major emotional uh, investment in it. The emotion is, is, is a big deal, but there's, there's also an intellectual property to that that I think sometimes we forget to illustrate. So that's the problem they have with it. And I think really the answer to that, um, one of them is a bit longer than the other. The first one, I would say, is the misnomer. The, the first answer to it is that you don't really have to stop thinking or looking at evidence in order to believe. 
Now, no one has all the answers. No one has all the evidence. Even they will say, yeah, you know, you don't have all of the evidence. You still have to look at stuff. And I think, like, biblically, you can look at Abraham. Uh, in Romans 4, uh, Paul makes the, the case that, like, he says about Abraham that in hope against hope, he believed. And what that, that doesn't actually mean that he, like, closed his ears and his eyes and ran and, and said that he he believed uh, God, what he actually said, what he's actually doing there is he weighs the evidence. Abraham looks at his situation and goes, you know what, this is kind of unlikely. But in any case, I'm going to believe. And I think that's much more, that's much more the kind of faith that we're looking at. We're, like, we don't really, honestly, we, we don't really encourage, like, closing off your mind altogether and being like you know what however ridiculous I'm still going to believe it's actually there's a there's a we have a fair amount of evidence that leads us to the decisions that we make right if nothing else it's pragmatic it seems to work for the people like um like we heard the the two testimonies earlier like it they saw people who it seemed to work for and then kind of follow that example. So that's, that's uh, intellectually realizing that that's a, uh, a good option. And so I think that's kind of, uh, that's a big part of our faith is, it's sort of like risk assessment. It's like, do it, <laughs> and it's, it sounds kind of shallow to say it that way, but it's true. It sort of is like risk assessment. You could even make the case like, Maybe Christianity does seem unlikely. Like, who was it? Pascal. Pascal's uh, triangle? Is it a triangle? Hierarchy, something like that. Uh, he says, uh, what do I have to lose if I'm wrong uh, as a Christian? It's like, honestly, well, if you, if you lived it out, like, <laughs> in, in other words, like the way that the apostles did, you, you have your life to lose a, a lot earlier than most people. But, I mean, you could lose your life early anyways. But Pascal's saying, well, I live my life, you know, as, as a believer. I had someone I, I thought was always with me. All these things he said that he had in his favor. Um, so in that sense, what the, that argument, and we, we use that argument for apologetics all the time. And that's kind of like a risk assessment type of idea. But it's still faith. Just because you have evidence for your faith doesn't mean it's not faith anymore. It's still faith. You're believing in something. Um, yeah, and I think um, that question really tripped me up for a long time. And I think specifically because of the other part of this question. It's not so much the, the thinking thing. I don't think that tripped me up. I would hear them ask this question. What is it, we would say, that is meritorious about faith? What is it about faith that commends me to God? And the second, the second answer, I think, to that question is nothing. There's nothing meritorious about faith. The second answer is faith is the only thing that you don't do. See? <laughs> Is once again sort of a misnomer, but not really. Um, to them, it seems that uh, Christians are 
doing something. That in order to blindly close your eyes and ears and follow a path, God says, ah, I like that, I will take you. Um, But that's not really what's going on. And it's, even if it were, it's not that that's meritorious. It's not that that commends us to God. Now the problem is, it looks like, it looks like Jesus is a charlatan when, when they see him that way. In other words, he'll say, well, you know, before you're healed, you have to believe. And that's what magicians will say, because for a magician... For a magician, belief is really important because um, you, you need to be distracted. So you're distracted by your belief, and then he's able to slip something in without you knowing it, and it works out well for him. It looks like magic. So that's what, that's what Jesus looks like to them. But they forget this, this answer, this second answer, that faith is not something that you do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that a little more, that second part a little more after I go through uh, some of this in Galatians 3. Galatians 3 is a chapter that's all about faith. He's um, really describing the preeminence, the importance, the necessity of faith, or even the role that faith has in our lives. So the Galatians... um, He says it here, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The problem that Paul has with the Galatians is he taught them the truth. He taught them about grace. He taught them the gospel. And then someone came in afterwards and taught them a legalistic uh, mindset. We can go to the next one. Uh, This is... The only thing that I want to find out from you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's asking, did you get saved by your own works? Where he says the works of the law, he's saying, did you do that? Did you work it? Did you, did you pursue your own salvation by following the law? Or did you believe and receive it by hearing with faith? And it is a rhetorical question. (laughs) He's not not asking them to answer that question. He's like, I already know that answer. And he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he said, answer to the first question, yeah, you began by the Spirit, by faith, Now let me ask you a question. After you're saved, are you going to continue in faith? Is that how you're going to live the Christian life? Or is it going to be by works of the law? Are you going to do it? So essentially what he's saying is, after you got saved, you said, okay, Jesus, we're good. Now I'm going to take care of this myself, and I will show you that you picked a good one, and you're going to to be excited that, uh, I'm, in, I'm in this group. Uh, now I'm going to perfect myself by the flesh, by following the law. Um, Paul's, Paul's problem with that is uh, it's vanity. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Go to the next one. 
So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Once again, rhetorical question. It's by faith. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's like counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Go 3, 8. Uh, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So what he's saying here is it's, it's kind of like in a courtroom. And it's kind of funny how often the Bible looks like a, a legal document, like uh, something a lawyer would use. But he kind of walks through, you can, uh, you can make a case in a courtroom for precedence. Um, it's happened before, it can happen again. Or so-and-so did it, you can do it too. Um, God kind of does that to the Jews and even proselytes of the Gentiles who really really respect the Jewish religion. He's saying Abraham was kind of a big deal to you, right? Well, Abraham only had a promise. God gave him a promise and Abraham believed that promise and that's how he was counted righteous. He's like, so what about you now? Are you a child of Abraham? If you are, it's because of faith, not because of law. And he kind of makes the point that it's not... It was like Abraham never had the law. If you think about that for a second, the, the law wasn't given to Abraham. He actually gives the number here in a little bit, so I won't say the specific, I can't remember it. But he, he, he gives the number of how many years later, it was 400 and something years later that the law was given. So Abraham had no idea what the law was, just to him it was a promise, and he believed that promise. For as many are, as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So the question now is going to be, do you really even want to live by the law? Do you really even want to try to perfect yourself by the flesh? Like, is that, is that a road you're interested in going down? He's like, if it is you may as well ask for yourself to be cursed because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. And that's an issue because no one can keep the law completely. Now, some of them did keep the law pretty well, but no one but Jesus kept the law completely. And that's a problem for people because that means they're under a curse. <laughs> that's not really what you want. Abraham was never given a curse. He was just given a promise. So we'll go to the next one. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Um, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Um, so what he's saying here, and he'll, he'll say it a little, a little more, um, I guess a little more emphatically later, is that law and works... Or law, or no, law and spirit, or works and promise are two separate things. Like I, like I said before, faith is not something you do. Faith is not a work. And Paul is making that point here. 
in Galatians, he's saying, you guys are trying to do something by the law. He's like, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's all right. But just so you know, you're submitting yourself to this curse and you're taking yourself away from this promise, which would have made things a little bit easier on you. Um, That the law is not of faith, on the contrary. On the contrary. They are contradictions of one another. The law is a contradiction of faith. That the law is more about action and what you do. Faith is about what you believe. It's like if you had a system under which you wanted to live, which one would it be? 613 laws or just one thing that you need to believe? (laughs) Which one's easier? (laughs) The belief part, right? Especially since that one doesn't carry with it a curse. He said, everyone who practices them shall live by them. It's a curse. It's a law. Okay, and then we're going to skip ahead. You have 17, Greg? Yes. Okay, so I realize we just skipped like five verses there. It's not because I don't like the other ones or that they contradict my point. (laughs) That's not the case. Um, it's just that they have some stuff in them. Uh, they're very interesting if you want to go read them. They just have a lot of stuff in them that if I, if I spent the time to try and explain them, it would take me a lot longer. And I don't know if anybody wants to be here for two hours. <laughs> so uh, what he does here, you see how he starts this. Let me see. Um, no, it's not the beginning of a paragraph. But he is explaining himself. And this is a... Uh, I mean, it's, it's elementary, but this is a uh, lit, uh, literary device um, to reinforce your point. Um, and we learned this in like elementary school. When you're, when you're done saying what you're saying, you recap. You go back and explain what you said so that people know. So I kind of skipped over that stuff, and now he says, what I'm saying is this, and he explains what he was, his point from before. The law, which came 430 years, there you go, that's the number, 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. <laughs> um, so what he's saying there, um, so, so it's, it's easier if you look at it on a timeline. Like, So uh, Abraham was back here, and then Moses is over here. Abraham gets the promise, and then Moses gets the law 430 years later. So if you want to kind of look, look at Abraham's promise like it's a tree, um, there's not a whole lot to it just yet, like it's, it's just a tree. This law that came from it was just like a branch off of it. Yet, yet the Jews couldn't let it go. They wanted to hold on to this branch that was stuck to this tree. But he's like, listen, it doesn't change what came before it. That law was made for those people at that time. He's like, I'm trying to kind of phase that out now. This, he said, the, the thing which came 430 years later doesn't invalidate the promise made to Abraham. Instead, it's the other way around. 
when it's, when it's time to go back to Abraham's promise, it's fine. Like we can start another branch off of this promise. This promise is basically just that all the nations will be, ble- will be blessed through Abraham. It's, it's pretty basic. So we can come back and, and bring another branch off of this. But he's like, you got to let the other one go. You got to let that law go. That's not, it's not really part of what we're trying to do here anymore. And he uses this word covenant and ratified. He explains that a little bit in verse uh, 15. But once again, I didn't really want to go into that. Um, yeah, so it doesn't nullify the promise. It doesn't make it void. Uh, we'll go on to verse uh, 18. For if the inheritance is based on law, so inheritance, um, it's, different, it's different for different people. Um, in general, it's, a, it's what's given through a promise. God promises something, they're meant to inherit something. Uh, for Abraham, it was the land of Canaan, the, the land that Israel eventually gained and then lost. Um, that was their inheritance. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. Okay. Think about that for a second. If it's based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. This is where I say he more emphatically states law and promise are opposites. Faith and works are opposites. Faith is not something you do. <laughs> it's something you believe in. And it's, it can't be a work of yours. It's not something you do. So it's no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham. Uh, No. If the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So the issue with uh, having it based on a law would be if they were to continue that line. Actually, it, it did happen. They tried to continue that. And they kept breaking the law and eventually lost the land. That's the consequence of your inheritance being based on a law, is you're going to lose it. That's the problem. The good thing, he said, so Abraham never lost his because it was by means of a promise. So he's saying that it's, it's similar for you as well. So this whole time, he's not actually talking about Jews. He's not actually talking about Abraham and Moses all those years later. He's talking about the guys now and uh, in yeah, Galatia. Because they're going through the same problems that people before went through, but they're doing it for no reason. They're subjecting themselves to this law, to this curse, for no reason. Because they don't need to be under that. They're under something that is based on faith. That if they just believe it, They'll be counted as righteous. So Paul's saying, I taught you all this before. Like on my missionary journey, I taught you this. Somebody came in and changed this on me while I was gone. And now you guys are living, this is what we call legalism. They're living under a free, uh, a free reign of just promise and faith. Grace is what we call it. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and, and live that out in your life. And yet you have put yourself under this law. So that is kind of the long answer to, or the long version of answer number two. The first one, two, 
to a popular atheist question, I, I don't know if, if I would say it's the, the biggest uh, atheist question that they have. They, they have some problems with us and with Christianity in general, but this is a big one. They have a problem with this faith. Um, and I, I find that in general, it's just faith is just not what they think it is. But the question is, why is faith meritorious? Well, here's the thing. If humanity had been different, if we hadn't sinned, faith wouldn't have been the big thing. We could have lived sinlessly the way Jesus did. But since we're so broken, the only thing that can possibly be meritorious for us is Jesus. It's the one, it's the one who did live perfectly. And so the question is, how do I take that and apply it to me? Well, Paul says in here, I believe in either 17 or 18, um, that if I try and take that on a law or on works, then it's not going to work for me. I, I can't use it because then I'm trying to use my works, which are tainted. And we talk about this all the time for unbelievers. Um, and I think even it's, it's pretty basic as far as this goes for unbelievers. But Paul's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers, to us. Um, and he's not saying stop doing works. He's saying stop trying to earn perfection. Stop trying to be like Jesus by trying to work your way to be like Jesus. Because you're, you still have sin in your life. You still have a sin nature. You need Jesus still to be perfected. To be like him, you still have to have faith in him. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that every time you go to do something, if it's not of faith, it's of sin. That's what it means, because you're doing it of your own power, your own strength. And I think sometimes maybe we just forget that in, uh, in culture. I don't know. I think maybe it's just easier to tell people to go do something, like go, you know, go f feed the homeless, something like that. And James gets into that, some of the others they tell, they tell people what to do, and we like that because we like having instructions, and we like to be told, yeah, just do this and don't do this, and then you're ready to go. But the fact of the matter is you're free to serve. You're free to believe this promise and serve of your own accord. And so as, if you go back to, let me see, Craig, uh, verse... Three. Go back to verse 3. Are you so foolish? It's funny to me that he asked that question to them. You know, they're a lot younger in their faith. Um, and I don't really know. I didn't, I didn't look into how young uh, in their faith they are. But... Uh, Probably Galatians was one of the first books that Paul wrote. So 
you know, maybe a couple years they've, they've been believers. And Paul has the nerve to call them foolish or to ask if they're foolish, which is a rhetorical question. He's like, yes, you're foolish. Um, and this is one of the reasons I, I think I love this chapter so much. Uh, one of the reasons is because it says, it talks about the difference between faith and works so clearly and so constantly throughout the chapter. But how strongly Paul speaks against this kind of shows us what a big deal it is. How dangerous it is for us to get this mixed up. Are you so foolish, baby Christians? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, do you really think that you needed Jesus' help to get saved, but not to live it out afterwards? He's like, no, you, you're still going to need his help. If you have any chance of being perfected or working towards perfection, and we call that sanctification, being perfected after salvation, it's going to have to be through faith. It's going to have to be by the Spirit. And so what's the application to this? Well, I don't think it's really about what the atheists ask us. Um, I brought that up because it made me start thinking about it. Uh, it made me, made me sit down and start going, well, do, have, I really, uh, have I really put enough thought into this if they ask this question? I go, um, you know, I don't really know. Um, by the way, which is, which is fine, I think. It's fine to tell people who question you that you don't know. It's better than making up something and acting like you know. <laughs> it's okay for atheists to call us stupid. It's not okay for them to call us dishonest. We don't really want that. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing them say this, and I go, well, yeah, what does make faith such a big deal? Why did, why did God choose faith instead of anything else? And then as I... I already knew the answer, but I just, I just never heard that phrase that way. So after a while, I realized, like, okay, faith is, it's not meritorious. It's not something that you do. It's the only thing that you don't do. That's why it's a big deal. It's because you recognize it before you do it. So the application for us isn't really about what the atheists ask us. It's about how we live. Um, are you believing in Jesus every day? Kind of the, the same way that you did when you were saved. Are you going through that process and going, yeah, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And then you act it out based on that faith. Is he the one giving you the strength to do that? I just find that a lot of times that's not the case for me. I'm doing it in my own strength or the way that I want to do it. Yeah, so. Are you living out your Christian life the same way that you started it? That's the question.